Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Unloose the Goose, episode 29. I'm Nicole Sauce here with Xavier Hawk. Both of us were in Florida over the weekend celebrating the launch of Fireon. It was a really good time. I met some really interesting people with a lot of different backgrounds and perspectives and ideas. And it was really fun to have that just gathering place. So thanks for hosting that party, Xavier. You did a good job on that one. Well, thank you so much. I had a blast. Actually, I stayed up all night. I didn't actually go to sleep. So the party ended around 10. And then, um, you know, I hung out with some people there, cleaned up, and then got back to the hotel where everybody was staying around like one, something like that. And everybody was outside. So I ended up hanging out outside till like two, two something, and then got home around three something. And was like, I can't, you know, go to sleep and get up and do baseline. So I just did baseline in my suit that I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I finished that, my kids were pretty much waking up. And so I, I didn't sleep one bit. And then I had meetings at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11. And then uh, by the time I wrapped up everything, my kids were coming home from school. So I ended up going to bed at like 10 p.m. And, you know, that was that. Yeah. Wow. So you didn't even get a nap after all that. No naps. Wow, I would have slept for like two days. So kudos to you for getting up again the next day and doing another baseline. Yeah, yep. I, it, I'm, I've committed to it. You know what I mean? Kind of like I've committed yeah. to this. Well, tonight's Unloose the Goose episode is going to be a unique one. We're going to be talking about practical agorism. So implementing agorist tendencies or practices into your life. And I asked earlier today for some questions up on the MeWe group and on Telegram, and I have five or six from MeWe. Xavier has sent a link out inviting people to come on the show to talk about this topic in person. So we may have some fun guest guest appearances. We'll see as we mm-hmm. get into the show tonight. But I'm going to start with the first question. And this comes from Chad, and he says, should agorists avoid using the term agorist or agorism except when talking to other agorists? That's right. He got the word three times in one question. <laughs> People have always done it or participated in it without using the name. Does it simply raise red flags? What do you think about that? Honestly, I don't, I didn't know the word before I was on this podcast. You know, I, I, I knew of agorism as, um, the agora. And the idea of the open and honest communication of a variety or group of people to come to new ideas, to decide decisions together and work in harmony. Right. So the the marketplace of ideas, that's how I knew it. And I didn't know that there was a whole subset of people. I thought it was just libertarians. Right. There's like, right. Bet on me. Leave me alone. Um and then when I met Sal and, you know, we all started chatting more, I realized like, oh, this is a whole like movement. But I don't know that many people outside of the movement know that it exists because anytime I've said, oh, it's an agorist podcast, they're all like, what's that? You know, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. then how, how do you, Nicole, explain agorism to people? So I explain it as this unique concept that I can freely and openly trade with you something mm-hmm. I have made. And so it's this, it's this idea that you don't need external regulations 
on the exchange of ideas or goods or services. And I, I actually don't use the word agorism much except for when I'm trying to shortcut, like if somebody asks me, what's this podcast about or what do you do? And I am not in the mood to talk. Right. We're agorists. <laughs> so it's basically like disintermediating the state. It is saying, get out of our business. Nicole and I are doing a, a, a deal here, of whatever sort, and it does not involve you whatsoever. State or regulatory agencies, you don't give us permission. You don't tell us whether we can or cannot do business with each other. Um, and ultimately, it's like uh, anarchism, but with some some foundational beliefs, I would say. Did you, yeah. would you say that? Like, yeah. you know, well, I mean, there is the idea that you are purposely seeking out the gray areas where we, where we can operate outside the system, right? Mm-hmm. Not just outside the state, but outside the system. And actually Sal Mayweather, who has totally bogged on us for the show tonight, put this really cool meme up on the MeWe group and it has all these people with their hands on the table. Mm-hmm. And it says conservatives, liberals, minarchists, ANCAPs, and ANCOMs. And it has um, agorists. And it says being oppressed. And the idea is this visual of all those fists is them being oppressed. There's this one guy with his fist out here, not there, off mm-hmm. to the side. And it says agorists, and it focuses in on his face. And that's mm-hmm. true, because you have you have what we have accepted as the system as we know it, and having to accept that the world works this way. And one of the cool things about agorism is we don't necessarily accept that, right? You right. look, you look for, well, that just, you know, works that way because people have gotten to the habit of that working that way. How can I move forward in a peaceful way and not mess with all that mess and just do my thing? And, and that's what, that's what has attracted me to the philosophy. So it's almost like every cryptocurrency user is an agorist by default, even though they don't even know what the word is. Yes. Yeah. So do you think that there's a benefit for people to understand the word agorism and or the, the philosophy behind it? Like because in libertarianism, let's say there's a whole like. It, it becomes a definition and a meme in and of itself. And then inside that you get the splintering and people start infighting about what libertarianism means. Yeah. I mean, I see Pete all the time, or I used to when I was on Twitter all the time, just arguing with people and, and basically, you know, mocking all of these libertarians who would fight with each other about what is really libertarian and what's not. And you've got different institutes and different groups within that that are all like trying to define it. And then when you have this defined culture, this defined movement, it's almost as if the minute that it is defined is the minute it begins its entropy cycle and starts dying. Um, and so True. in some ways I kind of look at agorism and, and like, let it be, <laughs> you know, let it, let it be undefined. Right. Like, yeah. It's almost like we've got this really cool thing going on, and the more people know about it, the quicker it gets ruined. Well, and I, I'm right with you on that one. The first Libertarian National Convention I attended was in Portland, Oregon, and I was I was working a booth for an organization. Free State Project was actually right across the aisle from me, and a lot of the purpose of the conversations that people had with me was to stop by the booth Suspect that I'm really conservative and not a libertarian. That was first. <laughs> Suspect that I'm really communist and not a libertarian. And okay. then have the I'm more libertarian than you discussion about what I think, you know, 
should all drugs be legal? And it was a very defensive um, interaction. And I, I was astounded by that. And I thought, we got to learn how to communicate better than this. I think with agorism, I think you're right on. If we really define it as these are the tenants and this is the only way it can be and there's no flexibility, it pretty much goes against the entire concept, in my opinion, yeah. to to lock it down. But it also sets the foundation for the I'm more agorist than you discussion. Right, which, right. And then, know, then Sal's you, more agorist than me, by the way, just for the record. Sal's more agorist than any of us, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the idea of libertarianism versus agorism, let's say, libertarianism seems libertarianism seems to be based in a political ideology. Whereas agorism is more based on an economic ideology or it's functionary in an economy rather than in a political arena. Right. So it, it, they kind of go hand in hand. You're, if you're if you're an agorist, you're more likely a libertarian leaning individual politically. But it seems to me that agorism goes even further and says, you know, fuck your political ideologies. Fuck your organized state. All of this nonsense. And let's just interact as human beings, as individuals, um, which is really all well and good. But it's in in my opinion, and, you know, Sal could argue with me on this if he were here. But it seems to me that you're limited in the amount of effectiveness that you can have as a individual or even as an economic unit. Like, I don't know how many agorists can actually become millionaires in the in the in the sense that. Unless they're cryptocurrency people, right? Unless mm-hmm. they stacked away a lot of Bitcoin early on and then they're just like free. Yeah. And you know, they, they don't, they don't have to pay taxes or they can, you know, transfer their crypto into fiat at a very low rate. So it looks like they're poor. Like there's a lot of ways that they can behave in that way. Um, but then again, it's again, the, the whole aspect of effectiveness in, you know, flipping the greater market. Like it makes sense to be the free man beyond the wall. But that, by definition, inherently means that there is a wall and that there is another system. How do we get agorism or the tenets of agorism to be the system? And if that happens, does it mean that all these libertarian minded or agorist minded folks will then find another way to like rebel against that and go conservative? Like, are they just and a contrary or are they genuinely um, wanting a free and spiritually based economic system? Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. I, well, first of all, libertarian and politics, there's the big L libertarian and the little L. You've heard of this before, right? I have. What the hell is that about? What, okay. It's what this means. Libertarian political party is an uppercase L because it's a proper noun and yeah. they are looking to get people elected. A small L libertarian is somebody whose um, principles are based in the non-aggression principle. Yeah. And that is going to, I mean, I, I can't think of an agorist who wants to force people to do things. So, right. so that, you know, Jack likes to say anarchists are libertarians. I think agorists are libertarians in the small L sense of that. Right. And then there's just degrees and factions within the libertarian philosophy just because people oh, have a lot of time to think about it. Yeah. And they're all, you know, it's kind of based in Austrian economics and all of that other stuff, which. Yeah you know, is basically the philosophy of get the hell out of the way. Yep. And and it works to a degree. And then, but then you have, like you said, all these factions, it really comes down to this definition and the self definition. And then the, 
the uh, self-appointed guardians of that status quo, whatever that is. So mm-hmm. you've got libertarians fighting against libertarians, um, you know, anarchists fighting against anarchists. You, it, I mean, all the way back to the freaking rainbow gathering, which is like the epitome of anarchism and agorism because they're a bunch of hippies running into the woods and being like, we're going to build a, a utopia without structure. Right. And we'll mm-hmm. get together around, you know, the, the sacred moons and the sacred times and this and that. And that's what what will bring us together. And then in that you even have different camps or different. Uh, this is where I grew up. Right. I, yeah. I grew up in, the, in the, that I, and I wasn't uh, in an agorist or libertarian household or community. I was anti-establishment in the sense that, like, I knew the system was fucked up. So let me find some alternatives. And I landed in the, the rainbow family for a while. And there were some really cool things about it that. Mm-hmm that I find in anarchism, in libertarianism, in agorism. And then there's a lot of the dirty, you know, aspect to it, you know, just the dirty kids um, without much comprehension of the grander society as a whole, other than how it's bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And how do we structure a, a civilization on the tenets of non, non-aggression and voluntarism? And they had a, they had a lot of good ideas around it. Um, but you always get that infighting. Right. So how do you how do you structure that and how do you give uh, a rule set to people who don't want a rule set? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And I'm not sure what the best answer is. It, you know, I look at how our so my my community, my living free in Tennessee community is and we don't have a lot of infighting. Right. We're also, you know, a couple of thousand people. So I think as as structures are in place where you can have an agenda, that's when you start having more infighting. When people find themselves dependent on the community for their livelihood, mm-hmm. that you start, you know, it's it's natural. The answer to the question at hand is the one that benefits me, right? Your self-interest is going to drive decisions that you make. And I think... In our community right now, I just did a podcast about this today. Part of why we don't have a lot of drama is right. when people come in and try to do drama. Nobody comes and punches them in the nose, right? Everybody just walks the other way. Right. And it nobody really wants the drama around. And that has been very uniform. And when somebody is going through a time and it's starting to negatively impact the community, uh, people come in and there might be a talk in the background from somebody who says, Hey, I noticed that you're, you're putting a little bit too much negative in because we want to be solutions oriented. We want to be positive. We want to support each other. Mm-hmm. It's not about, um, you know, tearing people down or beating them up. And I think as, as yeah. structures yeah. get over regulated, Mm-hmm. That's when people start beating each other up. So agorism, if it if it's kept simple without a lot of rules, mm-hmm. I think it sets a foundation to keep that from happening. Yeah, yeah, and I think what in your example, you know, you've got a tight knit community. It's not it's not tens of thousands of people, right? It's like right. Um, everybody kind of knows each other and has to deal with each other on a daily basis in such a way that it causes them to be nicer to one another because they're generally of an intellectual bent enough, emotionally intelligent enough to know that if they start trouble in this discussion, it's going to bleed over into when they're, you know, pulling vegetables together or roasting coffee with you or whatever. Right. And so it's like, there's a natural self, uh, 
self-policing that takes place. But when you start getting into larger groups, especially with the Internet age and people talking shit to each other, it, there, that emotional intelligence quotient goes down. And so then how do you, uh, you know, how do you function with one another in such a way that it's intellectually stimulating, emotionally responsible and functionarily results in good shit? Um, the question for us as in this age is like, it's a meme war, right? We've got the ideologies of capitalism, uh, communism, various religious isms, and they're all competing in the new sphere, the mental space of humanity. And it's like the one that is most efficient at meeting a certain set of goals will win. And if yeah. we agorists can demonstrate the the benefit and the, the efficiency at, at the levels of what we, what, what we operate at a local level and are able to scale it globally or even nationally or even, you know, statewide, you know, then we can compete in the marketplace of ideas. Fuck the political spectrum or the political ideologies or any of that. Let's just outperform them economically. Right. And then it'll cause everybody to stop and take notice. But um, to do that, it's almost like whenever you take a, an action, you, you begin the stage of entropy. Like the, the death of you is built into the, the action that you take. So the minute we call it ourselves agorists, then everybody tries to lump us in with some kind of political ideology or economic ideology, yeah. whatever. And then it's like you're defending against their mental bullshit that doesn't even have anything to do with anything. Um, you know, it's like they, they can't see the real functional uh, benefits of it in the midst of a name, in the midst of their own ideas of what that name is, because they'll see examples. Like, as far as I know, we unloose the goose are like the agorists in the, in the community that are actually saying stuff. Are there well, other there, I mean, can I think, well, I mean, Vin Armani, who was a goose at one point. Well, I still consider him a goose. even. Yeah. Though. He's, he'll always be a goose <laughs> <laughs> there. You know, that's a good question. I mean, as far as I understand, we are it. And, and, you know, forgive me if there's anybody out there who is an it that's more than this, but um, I'm I sure there are it's who are bigger it's than we are. And now they're going to reach out to us and want to be on the show. And that's cool because we can do interview shows. Yeah, because uh, we, we only allow uh, bigger it's that are not piece of it. <laughs> bigger it's. <laughs> no piece of it on the show. It's a Stephen King novel all of a sudden around here. <laughs> I've got to get my clown face out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I encourage anybody who's, you know, of the agorist mentality and understands what this is about, um, you know, because in, in my mind, it's like a it's a burgeoning sort of set you know we've all been like kind of pushed to this and now we're trying to find a definition for it um and i don't know who coined the term agorism other than uh you know in the in the marketplace of ideas right but we're talking about a market like an, a real marketplace and taking the marketplace of ideas and turning it into a marketplace of uh like a functional economy outside the the rule sets of the state well, Konkin, I think, kind of coined the term within the context of what we're talking about here. And um, this is where it's really sad that Sal is not on this, because I don't think we've made it through an episode of Unloose the Goose without him citing Konkin. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have a confession to make to everybody publicly. I am an agorist who has not read Konkin. I just, I just ordered a book because... 
I've come to this philosophy through uh, through the Austrian econ- economics standpoint. So yeah. by by reading Mises and Hayek and those sorts of things, and so when I stumbled upon the term agorism, I was like, oh yeah, it's all of these things that make sense. Go forth and and start doing stuff, which I is what I do. Yeah, I came to it from common sense. Um, yeah. You know, it, it it it. I didn't need a Konkin or a Mises or any of these fellows to really. In Bitcoin, I learned a lot about Austrian economics. Right. Um, and in coming from a the Bitcoin place and being one of the originals there and understanding my whole foray into this started when I had my community in North Carolina and I was like, how do I pay my people then pay rent without having to go through the state first? It's kind of like, why grow the chickens in the United States, ship them to China to be processed and then back here, you know, it's like all of that extra bullshit that was not needed. You know, we're, we're working in community and partnership and cooperation and that's nobody's business. So it was just common sense. Um, you know, solutions that I was looking for in terms of alternative currencies or complementary currencies, which led me to Bitcoin. Um, so it, it's, it's like I have what I consider like a piece to the puzzle economically and socioeconomically. Um, and, and so this term agorism was sort of like foisted on me and I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, like it does the, all of the people tend to get heady about a lot of these things when really it's about how can you function within today's yeah. society? In the current economic system, find your spaces in, in entrepreneurialism and in, in tech development. It's like, where are the white spaces where nobody's doing business or where nobody's building something and then go build something there? Right. And so we're doing that in the agorist community with like gardening, garage sales, uh, you know, 3D printers go burr, you know, on, in the term of <laughs> um, cryptocurrency, like Firon, right? It's like your coffee. Um, in your community, I mean, you know, yeah. and and then uh, farmers markets, growing vegetables, CSAs, you know, um, and I think garage sales is a big one, too, because really what you're looking for is you're looking for cash businesses that you can either if you're a hardcore gray market f- person, you know, not declare, um, which I, I'm guessing that a lot of our topics or questions this evening was around that. You had yeah, it was a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, why do you think people buy cash businesses like because what you're talking about is you're talking about laundering money. So let's just talk about it from an educational standpoint without any implications that this is a good idea. This is not a good idea. Right. This is not a good idea. Right. It can get you in big trouble. I don't do it. Nicole doesn't. Yeah. Nicole nope. doesn't do it. And Theoretically, we, you know, though, this is one, how it's done. If um, one had a cash business, what would they do? Well, let me back up before people, we jump here. Okay. Cause before we move off the term of agorism and community and control, something that has been cool about this podcast is we, we studied, we talked about spirituality. We've talked about personal health and the whole person. So I think what is, what is important as an agorist is to take care of your whole person, mental health, spiritual health, your, your body, all of it, your financial health. Um, so that when you come to the community, you're not, you're not that bad actor. So that just as an aside. Yeah. So back to laundering money, which we don't advise that you do. Well, you you just brought up a really cool point. So there are so many aspects of agorism that are just inherent in like the spiritual development growth, the personal development of a human being. We are sovereign individuals when we are fully self-determined then we're not counting on anybody else to 
take care of us. Mm-hmm. And if we're not counting on anybody else to take care of us, they have no say in our destiny. The minute we proxy our self-care or our determination, self-determination to someone else, that begins the process of uh, them determining our fate. It's kind of like going to a job and being told how much you're worth. Um, well, what hours you have to work. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and it might not be what you naturally work in or you fit in and it right. might not be the best. So, so if you want that freedom of being completely self-determined, then you have to have the responsibility of taking care of your economics, taking care of your body, taking care of your health, your emotional well-being, yeah. your spiritual well-being. So you become a holistically, uh, engaged, uh, being, right? Uh, and, and you have to become you have to engage your intelligence and figure out, okay, this is how the system works. How can I fit in it to best benefit me? And how can I do that in such a way that it best benefits the community and that hopefully people learn from my behaviors or my businesses or my entrepreneurial spirit or, you know, in Jack's case, my podcast or whatever, so that they can find more freedom for themselves. But they have to be willing to take on all that responsibility. Nobody's right. going to do it for you. And that's a hard process for some people. Well, it's hard when you're used to not having to take responsibility, right? It's scary. Yeah. And I think, you know, we have some other questions coming up that ask about analysis paralysis. I think that's part of what leads to it. I will say we have some interesting comments on YouTube. Uh, there's a ton of people out doing it, and I think that's true. The key word is doing. People are commenting, not in all caps, so I have to have my glasses on to see it. But um, I think agorists, as you go into this lifestyle, you do stuff. And sometimes you're so busy doing stuff, you're not looking for other people with the same label doing stuff. So that's why we're sitting here going, I can't think of anybody. But I remember when we started this podcast, I got probably 15 emails of why don't you have this person on there? And and the answer was we wanted to get the chemistry among the hosts that we had now before we started adding more. Yeah, no, and I think it's a good time. We should start interviewing as a group, um, different personalities, like people from the Mises Institute, you know, um, and have them on and answering questions where we yeah. kind of moderate, you know, um, and just have a group, group discussion with them. I think that, that would be a nice way that we grow um, in terms of the tax thing. So you have let's say you have a gray or black market business and you sell drugs and you're making a lot of cash. Right. And the way people do that, the way the cartels do that, and they have cash businesses like laundromats. Um, or, uh, where, you know, you put the coins in the machines and, and they fluff their numbers, essentially. They mm-hmm. say they're getting more business than they actually are, or a barbershop or, or things like that. And as part of the reason why Agenda 2030 is happening, John would be able to speak to this well, is, yeah. uh, they want to move to a cashless system to be able to prevent I mean, this is one of the good things about it, right? And this is where he's going to think I'm, you know, Illuminati or some shit. But the part of the good thing is, is that you don't have money laundering, which is how the bad guys make their bad winnings look legit. So back to the tax avoidance, it's more of like money laundering. They they get these cash businesses and maybe they have a thousand dollars worth of business happening a month, but they can put all of their cash through that business and make it look like, oh, there's $10,000 a month coming through. So then they're getting all this legitimate business and they're willing to pay the taxes on it because they've got it illegitimately and they don't know how to get it back into circulation. Right. So and they want to spend it. Yeah, they want to spend it and they, they can only do that by putting it into their bank. And the only way they can do that is by legitimately through like a cash based business. So that's not tax avoidance. That's like tax incursion. They want that. They want right. that. Right. But if you're talking about like tax avoidance, 
it's just don't <laughs> like even it's the, kind of the opposite of what you just explained, right? <laughs> it's the opposite. But, the, but I'm trying to make a point here is that the criminals want the taxes, right? Because that engages them in a, in a, it's like, if you're, if you're making money outside the system, they're going to find it. And so the, the trick, it's not about getting money outside the system. That's the easy part. It's how not to get got <laughs> and hit, get hit in the pokey. You need to have a way to actually make it look legit unless you want to stay so insignificant, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you just want to subsist. You're a farmer and you just want to basically subsist. You don't want vacations. You don't want to travel. You don't want a car, you know, things like that. Then fine, go do your, your, what, whatever it is to, 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 you know, make that, that money for yourself. And then you don't have to declare it. You know, like artists or you're selling something on Etsy. You know, a, a big place where people are doing that is OnlyFans. Um, I kept reading memes about how all these OnlyFans girls would get, um, get, uh, they'd turn somebody down or something and then they'd get reported to the IRS and then they would, uh, the IRS would slam them, slam them hard, mm-hmm. you know, fines and shit. So, you know, definitely I'm not recommending tax avoidance. Now you, Nicole, me, Jack, for sure. It's like we know how to structure our business and all of our expenses so that we look like we're not making a lot of money, you know, but really all right. the things that we have to do anyway are business write offs, you know, dinner with a client, you know, that's a total write off, uh, yep. gas, you know, it's car payment. That write off, but yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so all of these uh, things that you would have to do as a function of your life anyway, but just so also happen to be a function of your business. So it's less about tax avoidance and more about tax management, right? Minimization. Well, so, you know, that that's like when you have a business, the money comes into the business, you pay all your expenses, and then what's left is what you pay tax on. When you have a job, money comes in, you pay your taxes, and then what's left is for all of your expenses. Does that mean that... The $20 tip I gave the tow truck driver who bailed me out yesterday to get me home is an expense? No, because I write off miles. And so my things I spend on my actual car are, are personal expenses that comes out of the money that comes to me, right? But what I've done is spent time learning tax code and I continue to learn more. So I know what I can choose to take a risk on expensing or not. Because I think the thing, you know, when somebody asks, how do I avoid paying taxes or how do I get ballsy enough to do that? The answer is decide what your risk tolerance is, find out what the consequences are, and then decide what you're going to do. And then you just do it. But the business, the way business taxes set up in our country is completely as a way to avoid paying as many taxes. That's the whole structure is set up to do that. It's set up to help business owners, especially smart ones, not yeah. pay taxes. Um, that's, <laughs> there's, there's actually, there's actually a lot of really interesting ways to do that with real estate. And so you have uh, a lot of, let's say you make a bunch of money, a big windfall, $50 million, right? Yeah. You will have to pay half of that or 40% of that or whatever into the federal, federal system. Right. A way to avoid that is like they go and buy real estate and just dump it in and that goes on the negative on their balance sheet because now they owe money for all of those, those yeah, places and it goes, loss. <laughs> exactly. But they're mm-hmm. really involved, invested in a real asset that gives them on their, on their 
personal balance sheets, a net worth that increases where they can take more credit. So the idea is to leverage debt. Um, and so it, it, energetically from a spiritual perspective, it's not such a great idea because then you're, you're diffuse. Your power is not contained in liquidity, mm-hmm. which, is, which is the most powerful position. But how do you attain liquidity without, uh, having it taken in the form of taxes? So, um, there's a lot of creative ways to do that, but it, leveraging property and investments is, is a big way, especially if you can do like, um, life insurances and different kind of personal banking ways. Have you, have you ever heard about, um, cash flow life insurance policies? I have. I haven't looked into them much because I have not been, it has not been something that I needed to look at. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're really cool in the sense that, um, so if you put money in a bank, you're earning like very little interest, right? But if you put them into a cash flow life insurance policy, it's like you're putting money into the policy that if you die, somebody gets paid, right? Mm-hmm. But you can get these cash flow policies where you can borrow that money. Let's say you put in over the course of a year to $100,000 in there. And then you need liquidity for a house or whatever, you a business you want to start and you want 20 k So you can borrow from your death policy, your life insurance policy, um, and it's money that you technically owe, so you're not paying taxes on it, right? Mm-hmm. So you're getting this money that you put in a while, like over course of time in your, in right. your, in your premium payments, and then you borrow it from that. So you're borrowing it from yourself, your own policy. Right. And so it goes as a negative on your balance sheet that you don't owe taxes on. So it's a, it's one of those creative ways that you can do tax avoidance. It's not tax avoidance. It's really just yeah. tax management, right? And proper use of leveraging debt, um, where you actually have functional debt that you can use and, and build more wealth from. Right. So that's an interesting strategy. Well, this is perfect because I have Waylena saying, how's avoidance different from mine, which is from my podcast? I call it money I never earned. Yeah. So me- money I never earned is if somebody were to hypothetically come to my house and buy a jar of my canned beets and hand me five bucks for that. Right. It may or may not go on the balance sheet, right? It could just go in a jar that has a sticker on it that says mine and I keep it all. Um, that's Jack calls it fence post money. Not saying yeah. I do that per se, but um, it's something well, a person could easily do. <laughs> totally. But then again, that's a, uh, the minute it starts becoming newsworthy is the minute you start being in the danger zone. Right. If you're doing the five dollars they don't care about. Right. You're doing a garage sale. You know, the IRS is not going to come after you for your garage no. sale. Fits, right. It's like, a lot of states say for used things anyway, you don't have to mess with it. Like they're. Yeah. Yep. And so, you, and so, and, and you're operating at such a low volume that it's really minuscule, mm-hmm. you know? And so there, there, that's why I said, opened up the statement with, you know, if you're going to do it and you don't want a car and don't want to travel and don't want to have the amenities, like nobody's going to care if you're poor and avoiding doing that. It's, it's when you become really wealthy or you start making a big mark on the, on the market that, yeah. uh, that you start becoming a target. Um, that's good. You become a mark on the market. You start becoming a target. Yeah. You're going to make another t-shirt freestyle rap there. Um, I don't know. Liberty is the new punk is still my favorite Xavier Hawk quote. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I, I gave the, I gave the ladies, uh, organizing the party, the choice between like the choice is yours and Liberty is the new punk. And they're like, there's no choice there. It's Liberty. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, so I think in answer to Waylena's question, though, avoidance is when you're looking for ways to not pay tax by using like your idea of the um the what is it called life insurance cash flow life cash insurance. flow life insurance or structuring your business so your expenses come out before as many expenses come out as possible so you don't have a huge profit to pay taxes on at the end or choosing to live in places that don't have high taxes that have structures where you can get around things because you know in my state and i'm sure in yours county by county depending on where you choose to live higher or lower taxes anywhere from hotel tax to grocery tax to wheel tax to property tax Um, we just had somebody try to join and then they disappeared here's another way that's a more high-end way for and, and why people get into real estate Mm-hmm. So let's say you get a hundred million dollar high rise. Okay. Yeah. And it has a whole bunch of units in it and you uh, are able to take basically like financing against the place and you get, Oh, I don't know, like a $6 million financing. Right. Right. Um, and, or, or you, your premium, you're, you're paying, let's say you're paying on that hundred million, you put 10 million down, you've got 90 million left. You're financing that. And the rent that you charge for all of those units uh, gives you pretty much your mortgage payment, right? Mm-hmm. You can actually borrow, refinance, borrow against the equity of the value of the property, right? And that $90 million that you still have to pay, you can borrow that. Um, you can borrow pretty much double that or let's say $2 million, Let's even just say $10 million more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the full value of the place, the $100 million. And then you have people paying the rent. So then they are effectively paying that loan back. And then whatever's left over is yours as debt, non-taxable mm-hmm. debt. So let me, let me say it again. You've got a hundred million dollar property. You owe 90 million on it. The rent pays the, the premiums for that 90 million, the, not the interest. It just pays the premium, right? On, on that loan. If you, you're, you're, you're borrowing essentially. Right. $10 million tax free each year and you just refinance each year and you've got like $10 million that's completely tax free because it's debt. Like there's some really creative ways to play with debt and tax avoidance or tax mitigation. It's really just restructuring your thinking around what is debt and how can you and, leverage that? And you need to have a certain amount of capital going in. That's well, for something like that. Yes. But like, so we, we have somebody coming on here. Do you see that Diana? Oh no, but I know Diana. She was at the party actually. Yeah, she's coming in to talk to us. So you have to you have to click her in. And I, I admitted her. I involved- left her on hold too long because you were finishing something and she disappeared. But it looks like she tried again. So um, when she gets her mic on, we will we will say hello to Diana. Cool. She's got a property in Mexico. She's working on building communities as well. Oh, cool. So that that she's actually somebody that I wanted you to talk to when you were there. Um, when she comes on, she can tell you a little bit about it. I wonder she if wants, I met her. She wants to use the Firon um, management system and currency system mm-hmm. potentially in in her developments. I think she okay. has a a hotel. Diana, are you there? Just needs to unmute. Hi. Hey. Hello. What's up, baby? Hi, guys. Good to Hello. see you. Yay! Good to see you too. <laughs> so Diana had this beautiful like gold thing that was going across yeah, her. She was head sitting in the seat in front of me on the bus. That's right. Oh yeah. Well, that's but... right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that was super sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us about your uh, your project and your property and, and how you're building it. Okay, so we started this project. Uh, I mean, this project is like the seed that I'm leaving for the world uh, with my whole life experience. Like I traveled the world for since I was 18 years old. Like I I went out of school and I was like out of high school and I was like super not motivated. So I needed inspiration. I, I started traveling. I was a DJ at that time. And then um, I went to live to Ibiza, which is like this beautiful place that gets together. Ibiza. Like, yes. Yeah, Ibiza. <laughs> Art and a lot of love and a lot of money. So there's like a lot of abundance there and a lot of inspiration. And I got to meet like all these great people. So then 10 years after I got pregnant and I have my kid, 10 year old. And the motherhood, like at that moment, I went to this like super hell, like a very dark place of myself because I had like this horrible relationship. So I found out like the like the only way to be happy is within us. And yeah. I learned to do that after a lot of years. And now like I'm practicing it, as I told you. Right. So then like. I'm making the long story very short. <laughs> so then with my best friend, we were buying, uh, we were going to buy a house and then we didn't find like anything that was really what we imagined. So we decided to do a residential where we could actually like, um, customize and optimize all of our resources. Uh, I love intimate space and I love also the community, but I'm a very like, I love to be alone and I mm. love to, you know, like have my little uh, cocoon. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how it started. Like we just thought it was very easy and simple and, you know, like how it is to raise a company. So now we laugh at ourselves. Um, but in the end, like because everything always falls in place when your mind is well set. I don't know if that's the way to say it. Um, so we found like we were imagining all these houses like Sahadid style or whatever. And then we found like the perfect architects that have actually worked with, uh, this firm. And they have developed a series of, uh, investigation for NASA and whatever. So like a lot of different things. So in the end, we designed this minimum viable product, which is the one that I sent you. Like it's these little chrysalis. Yeah. And these are like high-tech design houses. It's like mm -hmm. pop-up structures, legal type. Mm -hmm. So we believe like uh, our house should be the playground, right? And we should like, I believe in the state of art. I believe like to use the technology uh, for human uh, growth. And I believe we have already everything. Like our own abilities is everything that we need, like creativity, you know, like everything that we already know uh, how to use. And we just, mu we must practice this. So uh, each house must be an avatar of, of the user uh, and like permit uh, the user to explore and express themselves to be able to leave the seed in, in the world, because I believe what's happening in the world is just because we are like feeling very unsatisfied with our own lives. And then because we induce our uh, state of peace into all forms of life, this is actually what the world is or, or the planet is actually lacking, like beings that are feeling complete and are feeling well. 
Yeah. So this is what I'm trying to promote, like for people to really, this is something that you're saying also in the fire and that I, I watched like the permaculture, right? Like if we all follow one tendency, even if it looks like super good, just because it's based in the material world and I call the material world, like everything, like our body, everything that we can see and touch and hear. And that's what I call the material world, which mm -hmm. would be like the effect of mind of divine right. mind so i believe like we have to go to cause which is us or which is life the same mm -hmm. and then like press from from there and that way like we should all be expressing like our own system and uh cooperating with the like the general system and that way like life balances itself right so we have to stop being like i don't know I mean, like the, the, of expressing ourselves and yeah. that's the process <laughs> that, that's the basis of agorism, right? We, we were talking about that before you came on and how, you know, when you want to take full responsibility for yourself, you have to do it at all the different levels, growing your own food, producing your own power, taking care of your body systems, taking care of your emotional, mental state, making your own business. How is your organization or your company or your pro project, how is it structured business-wise? Okay, so... We, there's this Mex, uh, structure, business structure, corporation structure in Mexico called SAPI, which is like a normal corp corporation, but this is kind of new. So we are prepared, like it has like different kind of shares. So you can include a lot of different types of investment. Yeah. Uh, so we could be a bank. We could be. It's whatever like a cooperative, right? Or, or like a B Corp in the United it's States. It's not a cooperative. Um, I didn't do it as a cooperative in the beginning because I believe that one individual should express itself. And then from there, like from this completeness, should share that ability to all other individuals, but right. not look for the collective strength. Because the moment we go out of ourselves, we like we unconsciously believe we depend on the collective strength and then we start asking others to do what we want so this is something i really don't want in, right. in because i've fallen there in the gifting economy and i don't think yeah. it made to anybody um so i'm trying now this is why i found fire because i'm trying to create a structure with this structure of membership that we can we can share the utility of the company with all the members i believe through real estate and the growing our like the self-sufficiency should be enough for the whole world to be doing whatever they want mm -hmm. or whatever we want. I think there's enough revenue. Um, so that's, that's what I'm trying to find with you guys, like a very uh, intelligent way of just sharing voluntarily um, what we do in life. How is the tax structure in, in Mexico? What is that like? Is it, are you familiar with the United States tax code or tax structures? Yeah. I mean, we, we pay a lot of taxes here. I believe because I, I, I work with the mind and I already told you, like, I don't fall into the effect. I don't care to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. I believe we are still self-sufficient and we should be able to live, uh, very well with whatever uh, we have other than taxes, like I believe in harmony. So that's not something that actually worries me. I, I, I think because the houses we made are like so fucking great that, um, we can't, they're very cheap compared yeah. to the market. Mm -hmm. 
So we could raise the price and people would stay pay, uh, would, would still pay the price mm-hmm. and we would still have a lot of revenue, uh, other, like, I don't know how to say it, but like, um, over the taxes. Yeah. So yeah, we pay a lot of taxes here. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if it's, if, is it more in Mexico? I know in, in some, it's a 16%. Um, how much is that? And then there is the ISR, which is another percent when it's services. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's a lot. Um, yeah, but I wanna I wanna really promote like not to fight the system, but to add value to it. And the only thing that can actually add value from my point of view is harmony. So I, I, I think we, sh- we have and we can like do great things like over taxes, you know, and then like sure. show really the world how we can like create peace within peace, you know, like. Nicole, in your community, is, do you have like a central LLC or company for the hauler or is it everybody just cooperating and it's sort of like a, um, an, uh, you know, an informal community? How, how is it structured there? Uh, first of all, I do want to point out we have somebody else on. Oh yeah. John. Oh Just, look, so, yeah, there you are. Yeah, um, it, I'll answer the question, then we can introduce John. Okay. So uh, we do not have an LLC organizing us. I have an S corporation, and um, the person next door has an S corporation. Actually, there are three corporations here. Um, and I'm I've been exploring the idea of a private membership club. Yeah, that's where I'm looking right now, but I don't know how that crosses state lines and because I don't want to do it just for the neighbors. Right. Right. Community spans the world, really, but mostly Tennessee and the United States. Yeah. And it would be nice if we could have a membership or a a church or whatever that legal definition needs to be Mm -hmm. to be able to facilitate trading with each other separate from or yeah. or you know because they're totally. in, in private like- membership organizations you can do things that are technically regulated locally yeah even though you're there that's how resorts serve alcohol in in yep. counties that don't allow alcohol but there's a certain point where whatever that thing is you want to do in the membership if if the government's decided it's illegal it's illegal but i see a lot of potential for um, stepping outside of some of the over regulation that is in, in, and becoming stronger and stronger in this country. Yeah. Particularly that's, that's, the USDA and the FDA, which are the two that just. Yep. That's why that I've been looking at for the, from the jump, a cooperative, which is basically like a membership corporation yeah. where, you know, everybody are part owners. So it's like you actually are not doing business with multiple entities. You're doing business as one entity. And there's a lot of cool things you can do there without all of the regulatory burden. Right. Right. But yes, you, you mentioned John. Uh, welcome, John. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? Hey, thanks for waiting. Yeah. I appreciate you. <laughs> no so worries. You have- I feel like a celebrity now. This is great. You are, man. I'm looking at you and I'm like, why isn't he on the, on the show all the time? So I'm seeing your, your, uh, chat, you said another, another good example of tax strategy is mileage reimbursement, which is very true. So if you own your own business and you're going any fucking where, like that's a tax write-off right there, right? 
Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us yeah, a little it, bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm uh, fortunate enough to own my own business. And one of the tax strategies that I think is in reach for most people that is often overlooked yep. is the mileage reimbursement. So, you know, vehicles, especially if you're in a business where you have to drive someplace, our particular business is uh, broadly sales across a, a relatively large geographic area. So there's two options that we can use for uh, a tax strategy there. I could uh, have the business buy my, my truck and the business could buy my truck and then I drive the truck on uh, business usage or and then I have to segregate the, the personal mileage versus the business mileage. Or I can just buy the truck myself and have the business reimburse me for uh, mileage driven on business. Uh, by far, when I talk to our CPA or when I talk to anybody else, the best way to do it is option number two, because it's really complicated to have a business buy a truck and then try to break out personal mileage versus business mileage. And God forbid, if you ever get audited, it's a nightmare. But for the most part, I, I just keep a, a log of where I drive on business and I have the business cut me a check every month for if I drive 5,000 miles that month. I hope it's not that much. But if I drive 5,000 miles that month, the IRS says I can reimburse myself for 56 cents on on that mileage. Right. And that's a lot of tax free money coming out of the business uh, every year. Right. So. Yep. So anyway, everybody always forgets that one. But if you uh, have a um, even like a CSA business, if you're driving to the farmer's market, I'm not sure if you could expense that. You, you probably could. Actually, I would check. You know, that's a good place. I'm to, pretty sure you can because that's not driving because they, yeah. they will say you can't drive to work like an Uber driver. The drive from your home to the first pickup, you can't expense. But then everything from there and the drive home, you can. But with a CSA, you're driving different places. I, I I don't think they're going to make the argument. Yeah. What? So tell us about your sales business, John. Tell us a little bit about <laughs> so your superpower uh, and, and what do you do? Sure. Uh, my superpower. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> my superpower is getting on Zoom chats with Mr. Baseline and Nicole Sauce. No, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we're a manufacturer's representative business. Um, so it's a very boring business and nobody knows anything about it, but it's a it's a relatively common way to help other companies sell their products. So in uh, in 30 seconds or less, there are small to mid-sized manufacturers out there who make stuff and they need to get that stuff to a buyer. And we basically take their product and we function as sales engineers for the product and sell it into uh, manufacturing plants all over our little region here in Ohio, Kentucky, Western PA. So that sounds really boring, but it's actually super cool because I get to see how everything is made, literally everything from food to steel to cars, airplanes, you know, all that stuff. That's so dope. Uh, give us Give us an example of something really cool that not many people would know, but that you're in a position to have seen um, that other people would be like, holy shit, I never knew that. Oh, man. Uh, you want to think about so, it? We can come back to it. Uh, okay. So do you know what a drumstick is? Like, it's... It, what was that? These? Those? Oh, say again? Drumsticks? drumsticks? Oh, no, no, no. I... Much better, actually. So, like the ice cream, the, the drumsticks. So, like the ice cream cones, they have okay, like the yeah. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I love those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I live in Ohio, and everything awesome is made in Ohio because everybody always forgets about us that we exist, except when it's like an election season or something. But uh, everything awesome is made in Ohio. Like me. So those drumsticks are made in Ohio, and. 
Yeah, there you go. A, a, a project that um, I just worked on last week was <laughs> increasing the throughput of like the, the machine. It's a very complicated machine uh, that it puts like the nuts on top of the ice cream. It sounds mm-hmm. so silly, but this is very serious business, right? I eat drumsticks. My kids eat drumsticks. You know, everybody eats drumsticks and we got to make more drumsticks. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So they were, they were like yep. reconfiguring the, the, the ice cream dispenser of the drumstick to increase the, uh, the throughput. It's the increase nut the throughput, throughput and, oh, the nut the throughput. Nut throughput. And, and the, the cones have to move fast enough. I imagine that that all yeah. works. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. It is, it is super silly, but there is a lot of math and physics that goes into like optimal, uh, like peanut crumble placement on top of ice cream cones. It, it's crazy stuff, but I it, bet. it is. Yeah. Does, does, okay, so this is totally off topic, but does it shoot like all the nuts at once, like bsh, at the ice cream? <laughs> and, and they're all aimed like, I'm just picturing this like, you know, thing, like, like a hairdresser thing that comes down on the cone and just like shoots the nuts in. <laughs> so kind of. So hopefully not giving away too many trade secrets here, but the, the, the cones, they actually dip it into, <laughs> they dip the cones into the nuts. So ice cream production is mostly done at room temperature, which is crazy. So the ice cream is much more fluid. Um, and they just pick the right temperature where it's not so fluid that it falls out of the cone, but it's fluid enough where things will stick to it and they can manipulate it. But uh, it's all upside down and they're dipping it at a very high rate into a trough and kind of doing it that way. So well, imagine being an ice cream engineer who has to figure out the right temperature and like how to build the equipment. That sounds like a lot of fun experimentation to me. It, it does, right? Like, totally. So, yeah. okay, so I think we should do, this is probably a good idea for future episodes, Nicole, doing like a full tax management, you know, for agri- Yeah. That I think that that's something that would be really helpful for Actually, everybody. Actually, no, an Agoras tax advisor, I should see if he would come on the show. Do you? I do. I don't know if he's willing to come on the show. Oh, we should. He, he is just launching a business specializing, and he's a he's a tax lawyer, tax attorney. Well, if he's a tax attorney and specializing wants to, in advising agorists on how to set up their businesses, we have, you know, many hundreds of agorists right there waiting for, right. for him. So he right. could drum up some business and we could get some real good value for our crew at that. that Just way. like I was thinking Niti, Neti, I don't know how to say Bali. She does the farm to table meat riot. She has figured out how to make a food church so that you can buy non-USDA inspected beef. Really? Yes. We should get her on the show too. That would be cool. I, I've been wanting to do a farm to table experience, uh, at various Byron hubs, you know, like we could oh. do one at Diana's, we could do one at my place, we could do one at your place. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that's a, that's a big deal. Like get like an industry chef that everybody knows or has heard of, you know, and then have them yeah. come and do like pick all the, like come and walk through, look at our gardens and say, Oh, we could use this, this, this and this and then make an experience. I have a it, chef here we could use for that. That'd be awesome. And he grows much of his stuff too. So. Well, yeah, let's like that, that would be a fun thing, right? That would be a fun in real life, uh, kind of gathering that we could do as well. So that's very cool. Um, what are the questions have you got in the. Okay. Wait, I want to answer this one because I had to laugh when I saw it. Okay. How do you minimize the risk of getting caught if you decide not to file your tax return? Oh God. Diane. Do you want to answer that? Diana. Diana, <laughs> harmony with the tax code. Answer yeah. that. <laughs> Listen, um, I actually work everything in mind. Like I, 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 when I say it, I mean it. Uh, I don't go out of, of feeling like it's the perfect harmony that creates everything. Mm-hmm. David's here. Uh, 
<laughs> so we just we just flow with the rules, with the actual rules, and then we we find the best way to use what we have. What she all. said. Yep. Yep. John, yeah. how about you? You want to answer the, the the best way not to get caught if you decide not to file your tax return? What say you, John? Yeah, I, you know, um, so <laughs> I, I would always say follow the, oh gosh, get a, get a good CPA and follow the tax code because uh, Jack is 100% right on this where the tax code is written entirely for people who own their own businesses and have the wherewithal to figure out how to, to get around it. So, you know, they, they will crack down on you hard. We, we've been audited twice in our history in 20 something years in business and it sucks. Like they, they will dig hard and they will dig deep and you really don't want to, you know, it, it's not a pleasant experience, right? Uh, so you have to make sure that everything's legit, but as long as you're following their rules, they can't really hold you accountable for that. Right. So, um, I would say stay within the law, but, it's good money spent on a CPA who can help you figure out how to skirt as much of that as possible. Yeah. I would, so, I would agree with both of them. And I'll, Nicole, I'll let you answer last. Is that cool? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I agree with both of them. I think it's important that you actually pay all your taxes and use the tax code that's there to help you learn about it. Um, this goes along with agorism. You know, you take responsibility for yourself. You take responsibility for your finances. You take responsibility within the framework that you find yourself in to find how to grow best and find your way out of it, let's say. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think also, at least here in Mexico, there's a lot of way of using the taxes, uh, on your favor. Yep. And that's why we believe real estate should go to art because the creative industries are the leader in economy in the world. Like if you see the statis- statistics, like mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like you, you can faint. Yeah. And, um, so that's one thing. And the other, there's a lot of like, you know, like programs or grants that are for exactly that for using the taxes towards art and good living. So if we just find like, you know, the, the strategies and I love strategy, like yeah. that's the way I think. Yeah. Nicole. Okay. So I'm going to go into hypothetical land here again mm-hmm. about tax returns and not filing them. If hypothetically speaking, your parents never made you a birth certificate and you don't have a social security number and you've never actually existed in the eyes of the government then it's probably a much lower risk of getting caught if you don't file a tax return. That said, your employer cannot pay you as an employee in that situation. So you're going to have to figure out how to go through life around the edges of the system. People do this. I, I've met people who do this. You've uh, met people you, without social security numbers and all of that? And no birth certificates. Really? Really hard to leave the country, though. Yeah, I bet. You can yeah. get you can get passports like international. There's like a world passport for refugees. You can do yeah. that. So if you're committed to this and have lived your life this way, your risk of getting caught are very low. Yeah. And you're probably also not running a multi-billion dollar corporation at that point. I mean, it's going to go back to the you're getting gonna, hand-me-down cars. Probably live just fine in yeah. that way, but it's not going to be a big. Uh, a lot of, it's harder to earn income without being on books. That said, 
a lot of our economy happens that way, right? Yeah. That yeah. is a reality of our economy. If you have filed a tax return and then you don't file a tax return, guess who's going to know? Yeah. They're going to notice. I have missed tax returns in my past, and they send you a letter. A nice little letter. Where the hell are you? The the reason you might not file a tax return would be that you earn so little that you don't have to. But if they decide to audit you and they dig through all your accounts and you're lying, then you're lying. So I think this question is one where you need to make make a – Determination of how are you going to put your flag in the ground for freedom? Is it by being fined by the IRS for not filing your tax return, even though you earn money? Or is it some other way? Is it by minimizing the amount of tax? And I've personally decided the second, right? I don't, I don't need to not pay taxes as a matter of course, because it's my, what I stand up for. Um, I do imagine people who have gone completely crypto for their entire life and all of their transactions probably don't have a good way to file a tax return because they're not coming back out into, into us dollars. So I mean, that would be another legitimate way, probably, although depending on who's up your butt in some ways, I was really lucky for being hacked for $14 million because I was not culpable for that in taxes. Like I, had it for mm-hmm. a very short period of time, you know, uh, not enough to actually do anything with in, in that way. Um, and lost it all. So there was, mm-hmm. you know, there was no, uh, I actually didn't have like a tax burden. And even last year, 2020, you know, didn't really have anything in terms of, of tax burden. Um, this year, 2021, I will, you know, and, because uh, Firon's actually doing well this year, but um, you know, just like everybody else, 2020 was was a hard year in that in that regard. Um, but it was a hard thing for most crypto people in the very beginning because there was no there was no regulation around it, there was no uh, tracing, there was no ability to trace it. So people got away with a lot at that time. Um, but now, like places like Coinbase will audit, uh, they'll send yeah. in paperwork on your behalf. So you have to file, especially if you, but that's why there are all these privacy coins now, like the people in the crypto game. And this was an interesting reason why the crypto bubble kind of thing happened was because all of these young folks under 30 basically started making millions of dollars. And they're like, I can't go back into the fiat system with this or else I'm going to have to pay all these taxes and lose yeah. all of it. So they had to find the next thing, the next thing to invest in and build. And so you're having like this expansion. I kind of see it as like uh, dendrites in the brain stem or, or like fungi, you know, in their root stems. Um they're having to find new and deeper ways to invest. And that's why the DeFi market started. That's why we've got all these things like NFTs. It's like everybody would pump into the next altcoin because if they would pump and dump. It would just be to keep the money moving because to sit on mm-hmm. it didn't make any sense. So like they, they kept trying to build and build. And that's what's been growing this alternative economy, which is really an agorist economy. Like there is absolutely zero way that the IRS can go after anybody in the DeFi market. Because it's totally decentralized. There's mm-hmm. no way in and out of coins or from coins to fiat, you know. And so what's happening is now people are beginning to use cryptocurrency as a form of payment. But we still have the problem of, well, USDC and USDT, they're stable coins pegged to the right. US dollar. Right. Um, so people are using those to transact now, which is really cool. Um because then people who are crypto savvy will then take that and go turn it back into crypto. And there's really nothing that the IRS or any state can have to do with that kind of a business. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of exploration to be done or discussion, not exploration. There's probably already been a lot of exploration about do you run a business as your second business that's 100% crypto if you have a business already? Do you start another one that just never comes out? So. Well, that's where it gets into what I was talking about earlier, right? Yeah. You know, the, the, you're, you have to actually make your money look legit, right? And that's where we, we learn a lot from the cartels. <laughs> mm-hmm. They have a lot to see. So did the government, unfortunately. Yeah. So we have somebody new joining us, Nia, Naya. Naya was actually on our last, I believe, on our last chat. Yeah. Or she okay. was on the, she was on a, a fireside chat that I had this Monday. Um, and she is sort of new to this whole thing and she started using Curtis's methods for spin farming and. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So Naya, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your superpower? As soon as she gets her mic hooked up, she would. Oh, yeah, I see it. Her mic is not attached yet. I don't know why. How are we doing on time? It's 930. We've been here for an hour. Yep. Uh, how many more questions have we got? Well, let's see. I've got... You want to do the violence one? How does agorism implement the principle of justice when an individual is when one individual is harmed by another? Yeah. From... Francisco. Okay, so let's Francisco. talk about let's talk about prison, right? Um for the most part in a lot of different prisons the guards have a sort of laissez-faire they're not trying to break up fights because they're outnumbered and you know it would be a dangerous situation. So what they do is they there's a rule set in the culture of the prisons on how things are handled, right? And I learned this from an interesting individual that they're what are called like pods or, or, or groups. And, and if you think if you think that our culture, Western culture is racist, like spend some time in a federal prison and then come out and tell us that, you know, our culture outside of the walls are racist because inside the way it's structured is strictly based on race. You don't hang out with your not race, the race that you're not right. All the white folks over here, all the native folks over here, all the Latinos over here, whether you, and then within the Latinos, they have their own breakups of who's who and who do they accept. And then all of the African-American folks. Right. And even like there are subsets within them, but that that's the primary breakout. And they police themselves and the leader of each tribe. And that's the way they run it. It's tribal and it's based on race. And the, the leader of each tribe is the one who is expected to end whatever conflict there are between the various tribes if a conflict happens between the tribes. And so, um, so it, and it's a really agorist system in there, believe it or not, because again, the guards do not want to get in the middle of a battle between different people because again, they're totally outnumbered. So if you have beef, like let's say John and I are in a different tribe and we have beef. And Nicole, you're the leader of, of our tribe, right? Mm-hmm. You are expected to go speak with Naya, who's the leader of John's tribe, you know? Right. And if we can't, if you, we can't work it out, the leaders are expected to like be diplomatic and be like, get your boy in order or we're gonna, and it's not going to be pretty. And then everybody's going to get hurt. And nobody, like crazily enough, nobody wants violence in there. You know, it's like one of the most, oppressive, you know, least free environments and they like don't want violence. So, but it I happens. I imagine violence gets pretty bad in a prison. 
Right. But we're all monkeys and we're all assholes. And no matter what happens, you stick two people in a room long enough, they're going to fight. So the idea is like the, the calmer heads, the leaders of each tribe have to work it out and put their person in line. Um, so how does that transpose onto a community or an agorist community? So the in the would... Freedom Cell Network, they have that same thing, right? Mm-hmm. You have your eight person inner cadre and you have regional cadres. And if somebody is a bad actor in one of these smaller communities, you put it back to the community to deal with. You don't, you don't go cancel that person. You say, you know, talk to Fred. Fred's, Fred's being creepy. Fred needs to right. not be creepy. And then they can talk to Fred. And if Fred doesn't change, they can, they can push Fred out because the risk is your, your immediate community around you will be disassociated if, if you don't and, fix the bad actor. And that's what happens in, and that's what happens in the prisons. If, uh, Naya can't put John in order and you can't put me in order, then you're basically like, you're putting our whole tribe at risk by doing this. And, you know, like if you don't fucking chill out, you're going to, we're going to give you to them basically. And yeah. you're going to have bad things happen to you. And we ain't got your back, you know, cause you, you were in the wrong and the tribal leaders will sit and talk and figure out what actually happened with those two guys, you know, and then, and so you're basically telling me the exact same thing. And I think that's our natural, our natural way of doing things. Interesting mm-hmm. story about crows. You know why they call it a murder of crows? No, because when they have conflict, the crows, the two crows that are in conflict will sit in like a clearing and all the crows around will sit in the tree. And they know this because a research scientist, a uh, whatever they call a bird watcher scientist is um, they watched and they, they saw these two crows down there in, in the field. And if it's those, on, those it's of you are on, I'm in the meeting. on radio can't, can't see, I've got one hand over here, the other hand over here and they squawk, not at each other, but they squawk to the, to the trees, to all the birds. Mm-hmm. And then one says their point, then the other one says their point. And then all the birds start squawking and then it's somehow it's decided. And then whoever's in the wrong, all the birds attack the other bird that's wrong. And, and kill it, basically. It's very decisive. Yeah, it's exactly, it's like being in a Decisive and final. But that's why they started calling it a murder of crows, because they would murder the wrongdoer in whatever conflict there was. Wow. Thankfully, we as humans don't have to resort to that. (laughs) Yeah, not yet. Not yet. You know, something we do in our community, and we're small, right, is we have a foundation and an expectation of open and clear communication. Yeah and uh expectation of goodwill so when there is conflict or tension you know in the moment we may not talk about it but the the expectation is like when when this happens this is how i feel or this is a boundary i need to have in place if you don't respect my boundary this is the consequence that will happen and that's worked really well here and it's it's coming in with the expectation like i I like Diana, like my, my alone time. And so if you live near me and you want to be my friend, it needs to be okay with you. If you walk up to my house for me to say, great to see you. I need to be alone. Bye. And it doesn't mean I hate you. It just means right now is not a good time. And if people's feelings are hurt in that situation, then they're going to, their feelings are going to be hurt a lot. Yeah. Here. So yeah, I, it looks like, uh, Naya or Nia? How do I say your name? I think it's Naya. No, I Nia. Think, <laughs> Nia. Damn, I was okay. wrong. Sorry, Nia. But <laughs> oh, I, I think Diana had something to add. Uh, before oh, we, 
get to it. Yeah, you wanted to say something, Diana? Yeah, I just wanted to make like this observation. So you mentioned different systems, Xavier, and mm -hmm. it was I really good to observe everything because life is that. Life is everything. And mm -hmm. in the end, nobody can think for us, neither can we think for anybody. So again, like if I go back to my reason, my good reason, and I understand how am I feeling and that I am actually free, nobody can slave me because nobody can think for me. So I'm the only one that can decide what to think and how to feel in that moment, even if I'm super angry. And I actually observe that life has like gives you no right. Like we have no right of feeling bad. That's the fact. Like if when we are scared, our heartbeat goes up either, even if we don't want to, like if we are scared, our body expresses it. Right. Yeah. So eventually we will get sick if we start competing with others, if we give our power away. So we have to bring our power back to ourselves Use our freedom, our inherent freedom, the inherent freedom of life, our abilities to reason, to think, to remember what we thought and we, what we reasoned out, to understand what we really are, and then to judge, but to judge correctly. And then from that point of view, because actually if we see the system of the, of the jails, like it's completely wrong. It's, but that's not our problem because we are not there. We have to leave them um to solve their own problems and we must like solve our own problems through this process of reasoning and then like actually people get to feel that and you actually get to not get in trouble so that's my proposal <laughs> Always yeah, come I, back I think that's <laughs> what we're all kind of trying to work towards right to be able to reason with one another be responsible for our emotions and um you know have discourse and not not take things personally Yeah, so thank you for adding that. Appreciate that. All right, Nia, welcome. Welcome to Unloose the Goose. Hello. Uh, I was actually at uh, Curtis's Q&A, and that's why I'm late. I was there, and then, and then I was actually going to go to sleep, and then I saw in the uh, chat that uh, Xavier posted this, and I'm like, yes, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You, you had good things to add on the fireside chat that we did. So, um, so tell us what you're doing with, with, uh, with Curtis's technology or his, his methodology. Yeah. Uh, I started building the micro green, uh, growing area, um, with my business partners and, uh, we are, uh, about to operate actually. And currently I'm trying to start the com company incorporate at the same time. That's, that's where I am at. Very cool. And where are you doing this? Uh, I'm in the capital of Canada, Ottawa. In our basement. Uh, in the, in the basement, sorry. In the basement in Canada. A basement in Canada in the capital, Ottawa. Ottawa. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That was quite precise. Um, I, I want to add something. <laughs> um, for last three days, I cannot sleep. I wake up with super excitement since I <laughs> discovered you guys. I am getting way I'm much more excited day over day and it is affecting my sleep and you are causing this. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I I don't think we're causing. I think we're just, you know, having found Curtis was probably one of the greatest things you could do because he just took life by the horns and he's like, I like growing shit and I'm going to do it and I'm going to figure out a way to do it really well. And he did. And he's a smart motherfucker and he like made a really good business out of it and has been like teaching others how to do it. And here you are, 
doing what 99.9% of people don't do, which is take action. And now that you've taken action, you're getting like super stoked. That excitement is like you having your sovereignty back. That is you. Welcome to the Agora, right? <laughs> you, you, you are now one of us and you're here, you know, building your own destiny and, and building a company. So very excited for you and congratulations. That's freaking yeah. awesome. Thank you. Don't so forget what, to take care of yourself while you're building your company. Ask me how I know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> there you go. And 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 I don't suggest staying up two or two and a half days in a row. Yeah. Um, you Did know, you start get, seeing get like shapes and stuff by the end of that? <laughs> Dude, it's wild. So what are you growing, Nia? Um, I we we didn't started growing yet, but I'm super interested to grow uh the regular microgreen uh types. As well yeah. as, I want to add also crests because I really like crests and I don't see in the market. Yeah. And I really want to add this variety. And what I'm, I'm gonna do with helium seeds as possible. And if not possible, non-GMO and fully organic. Yeah, yeah. So I had a friend who was growing, um, microgreens here in Florida as sprouts, not even microgreens, just sprouts. And he was selling them to restaurants for a lot of money and he just had like a basically like a closet full and he had like he would he had it cycled he had a he had like not even a crack key system it was just plants and soil and he would yeah. wash them out process them like every every week basically he had a new crop because they were rotated and he made like a bunch of money like as a side hustle doing that and selling it to restaurants and like juicers like uh raw juice bars and stuff like that and you can find i mean good luck i think you're going to have a have a have a have a real good success with that. Uh, I hope so. And I really want to combine it with uh, renewable energy, moving out from the basement and moving out somewhere else and combining it. This is my uh, goal. Cool. Combining renewable energy. That's very cool. And how's the tax structure in Canada? Uh, like if we're incorporated, we have like a, a, a flat 15% tax, but if we were um, to do it as like a, a partnership or like sole proprietorship. Um, the tax is based on, I guess, your, your income. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know if that would be combined with like your, our regular like jobs. And then that bump us up like tax brackets. So we just figured with, uh, the future expansion that we have in mind, um, incorporated was the, the most logical way to, to go. Yeah, so you can kind of silo your profits and then, um, you know, take the proper tax mitigation strategies in the corporation with your car, with your vehicle, you know, like the things that John was talking about. Um, John brought up a point here. I don't know what the 1099 is in Canada, but um, he says, you know, audits are triggered on certain things such as 1099 income. Why don't you tell us about that, John? Uh, yeah, sure. So I was actually going to type another question to our Canadian friends, Nia, uh, and the other fellow there, because uh, I, I don't know. I know in the U.S., um, state law has a lot to do with taxes as well as federal law. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to an earlier thread in the conversation about audits and, and that type of thing, generally the IRS is not – if they're going to go after somebody for an audit standpoint or go after a company um, – from an audit standpoint, they're going to do so based on some type of trigger and like a, a common trigger because I, 
Unfortunately, the IRS likes to go after very profitable small businesses. That seems to be just an evil thing that they, they like to do, right? <laughs> but uh, they will look at um, if you are doing business in all uh, USD, for example, and you're you're not in cryptocurrency. You know the companies that we work with, uh, because we are working for them as an independent contractor. My my company is an independent contractor for them. These are typically much larger companies who have to follow certain accounting pro, uh, accounting uh, procedures. They they have to give us 1099s, and those 1099s show up on their corporate tax returns, and they can be traced back to the smaller companies that they deal with, such as ours. And if there is a discrepancy, and I'm sure there's some big IRS computer that does this, I, I know somebody somewhere is looking at this, they will look at the 1099s that these companies are sending out, and they'll balance them against the vendors that they're sending them to. And if they're sending big 1099s, and, and for uh, the Canadian folks or other people who are not familiar with it, a 1099 is basically a, a statement that a company sends to the, other, to the IRS saying, hey, we paid this independent contractor so much money. So the, the IRS knows how much money and income you made from a particular uh, other company, a vendor in this Speaking case. bastards. I know, right? So they get the, they can balance the 1099 versus my company's corporate tax returns, and they can say, wait a minute. This company sent, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to this other company, but they're showing that they made no, like, they're showing that they made no income, right? So that, that would be like us, like, not filing a tax return. So when that type of thing happens, when they see these crazy high, uh, profit margins and they're not seeing, uh, that income being recorded on our end, that's when they're typically going to audit something. Um, so, you know, if, if you're doing everything in cryptocurrency, though, to Xavier's point, uh, there's absolutely no way to audit that at all. 100 percent, period. Like they just can't do it. Right. Because there's no legal paperwork behind that. So I keep asking the companies. But then they can just guess and then they can say, yeah. oh, we just think you owe this. And, yeah. and you could be completely wrong. And you still that. That's, Somebody just posted right. on YouTube. I just filed my, filed my annual theft and they asked about crypto profits. Yeah, I don't know how to define now. crypto profits, but yeah. Yeah, that's I, thing. I, I saw that too. And it was like a yes or no question. It's like, well, you can try to go find it. <laughs> so, it burned in a boat? Yeah. boat? Boat fire? No, you were hacked and it was stolen. Well, that's legit. Like, that's like legit, legit. Like, I cried for five years. Like, I, I bet you did. Legit. That's cry too. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So in, in Canada, though, like for provincial law, when you start a company, like is it that 15 percent that was mentioned that goes to the uh, um, to the federal government in Canada? Right. Is there other also provincial taxes on top of that or is it a, a like flat a structure regardless? Of taxes, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not 100 sure about that. Hey brother, what's your name sitting there next to Nia? My name is my name is Ben. My business partner. Yeah. Hi, what's ben. up, Ben? Ben, the business partner. Do you, in, in in Canada do they have uh, provincial taxes like state taxes here? Uh yeah, yeah. In Ontario, um, they combine the two and they call it uh, HST, a harmonized sales tax. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's boy. A, 13%, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's 13%. On top uh, of 15? Uh, well, no, so that's just what we, like, when we buy stuff in stores, that's... Oh, that's the like tax. sales tax, yeah. When it comes to, like, the, the, the business itself, I'm not even sure how um, that 
part, like where the 15% would go. And we would be registering the, the business incorporated federally, not provincially. Um, Nia looked into all the specifics about that. She's, she's doing like the business side of everything. And I'm like working in the basement, like building stuff, renovating the basement, keeping yeah. cars stuff running like she she does all that stuff and i do i do everything else or that's it. cool <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm researching but i'm also new to canada so as much as i can research or learn that's yeah that looks brilliant i can feel like i can feel the excitement and newness so is that your basement there that you're in it looks yeah. like uh it's all this will be, be the 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 veggie farm um like in the back corner we have the rack that we're going to start uh some plants on uh this very week. cool that's but very exciting hopefully it'll be like completely be packed yeah. is it oh. going to be pink like all the pink lights that they have now the leds <laughs> that's so cool that's, so that's what we have like some of right now that'll yeah. probably be used that's very awesome well congratulations okay. um anybody have any last uh thoughts uh, do we have a nicole question like last question to go out with I don't have one from the audience, but I can make one up if you want me to. Um, well, sure. Yeah. Okay. So when, when you think of being an agorist or being in the agora, how do you see it helping the world become a better place in the long run? Like as we evolve into this, how do you see it making the world better? Fireon.com. <laughs> <laughs> Livingfreeintoseat.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first? How about we go down the list as I've got it? I've got John first. Go ahead, John. Yeah, John, you're on the spot, man. Oh, man. Uh, I, I think it's the way, and I'm, I'm still in this idea. This is not my original thought, but I, I think it's uh, the way that everything normally works. Like the, the normal state of the world is free commerce be- between people in a voluntary way right yep and the the uh i think most people work best in and are happiest and have the the best lives and the best lives for their families and uh their communities when they are able to transact business and run a business their own business and live the life the way they want to i mean i i constantly tell my my friends who are thinking of making the leap of, of starting their own business, uh, they, they don't fully understand how much freedom and just happiness in life comes with being a, a small business owner. I, it, they asked me like, well, what would you have to do to, to go work for somebody else? Uh, like how much of a pay cut would you have to take? It's like, well, I, I'd have to be close to like losing my house and be destitute on the street, which would never happen because uh, as a small business owner, I always find a way to, to make money. But like a, the that is such an important thing that once you get a, a taste of that of of how the agora works and how to um, make your own way, you you can't really do without it. And if everybody did that, everybody would be so much happier. Um, or or if a maybe not everybody can do, it, but if a if everybody who wanted to could do it, people would be so much happier, and the world would be a better place. So. Yes. Yep. Great. Good answer. Good answer. Now we've got Diana. Well, I think I, I answered that question mm-hmm. already, but I would make it like simple, just sharing our talents and appreciating everything we are and being grateful for where we are right now, what we have right now. I've seen like having a business for me, it's not easy. 
working for someone, it's not easy. Like every situation, everybody's living. We always find like reasons to feel bad, to regret, to have resentment, to blame, to whatever. So as much as we can do um, life now, I think we're going to be good and everybody's going to be learning from us too. Yeah. Nia yeah, if, and Ben. If, if I... If I could add on that too, that that's a great point. And I know I think it was I forget who it was in, in another Unleashed the Goose talking about joy in life and how joy doesn't often I forget what it was, but joy doesn't come from easy things or or joy comes from doing the right thing and fulfillment and doing the right thing. Yeah. And owning a business is not easy. It it is you, you can work less hours and work less just in general working for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, it is it is really hard to own your own business, but the level of joy is much higher. So spot on Diana. I, I agree. It's totally. like, it's not work. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I work the crazy hours now and I'm like energized and ready to go. Cause it's so much fun. <laughs> Mia and Ben, how about you? Agorism. How does, uh, how do you see it affecting the world? Or just, just final thought, whatever, like, <laughs> with that. Can you define that word for me? I've never really heard it that much. I don't uh-huh. know. See, I told you, Nicole. I told you. We um, rough us to use that word. Right. So I feel like it kind of makes sense, but like, yeah. Okay. So I didn't actually know what it was either when they asked me to be on an agorist podcast. I was like, <laughs> sure. What the fuck is that? Um, and it was really just basically like, so the idea of agorism, as I understood it prior to this whole foray, was the free marketplace of ideas. Everybody gets freedom to speak, share, and the best ideas rise to the top, and we all make decisions together and, you know, steer civilization. In the term that we're using it, it means disintermediating the state or basically saying, like, if you and I are doing business, there is no reason why the state needs to collect taxes on it. There's no reason why they need to tell us whether we can or cannot sell to each other. It's sort of like the onus is on the buyer. You know, buyer beware. If you're selling, you know, shitty microgreens, it's on me to find out. And No, it's not their job to make sure you're doing it right so that I don't get killed. That sort of stuff. Like, we're all grownups here and we can manage ourselves. So that's what agorism means in a blanketed sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Like anarchy, but but like an elevated <laughs> sort of like respectable anarchy, you know? Yeah. I think that sounds perfectly logical. <laughs> right? I think the point that uh John made was was pretty spot on. Like this is this is how it's supposed to be, how free markets have developed throughout civilization. It's only like when when civilization and government gets involved where they're like, this is how you need to do it. You know, you gotta stay in your pen, you know. I think it's a little bit similar to Michael Tellinger's contribution to them, right? Yep. He's a good Uh, dude. Yeah. And I see that, like, as he said, like, how it's supposed to be. Because everybody should act based on their passion and based on their excitement. uh, Getting out from the victim role and owning their uh, own power and own health. And serving to each other. Not putting the money as a priority, but a collectivism as a priority. So that's why I see this supporting the idea and making a brighter future, like this Hobbitism Venus project, one step closer to the Venus project. I love you. Thank you. That's really awesome. That's that's exactly why I'm here. Nicole, last final thoughts. Well, you know, somebody had asked about analysis, paralysis, and getting started which is a little separate from the topic of this show, but it's related because when you think about what agorism is, you've got one wall here, you've got one wall here, 
and you know those walls exist. And the agorist approach to that is, well, you can ask yourself, how do I go through that wall? But that's that can make a big mess, right? You can ask yourself, how do I go over that wall? But that takes a lot of effort. And a lot of times when you follow between the walls, there's this space that you can find to just be your natural self and to interact with people in natural ways. And that's kind of how I view agorism is we're just finding those spaces where we can bring value to each other, bring value to our own lives. And if you're in analysis paralysis about starting something, whether it be an aquaponics system at your house, uh, a microgreens business in your basement, you know, whatever it is that you want to get started, Fyron.com, um, stop analyzing, start doing. Yeah. Because it, 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 a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about the what if, what if this regulation comes down and that regulation comes down or if it gets really big, well, it's not big yet. Right. And usually taking this cup and selling this cup to somebody that I've already drunk out of, so it's used, is not really something the regulators give a shit about, right? Get started. See if you can do it. See if you can bring value. And then, yes, put some thought towards how do I do this without going to Club Fed? Because you don't want to go, go to Club Fed because apparently you're going to be divided by race, as uh, Xavier Hawk was saying earlier. So those are my last thoughts. Yeah. So very good. I love it similar the analysis paralysis thing is uh it's huge a lot of people are there i was there for a very long time and then when i got over the analysis paralysis and started doing and got beat up a bunch of times a bunch of times it was still like you know like you you either have to want it more than you want to breathe or go be a cow and do whatever you know society gives you to do um and no judgment on that. Like there's a lot of us and there's a lot of different ways that we can all make livings and, you know, find our own little seed of happiness. But for me, it was like, we have to live by the values that we, we espouse and we have to be building something, not just trying to resist or fight against something. And so I think each one of us here in this chat, and it's not random, right? It's like, there's order to all of this, um, that, Everybody here brought a different example and in an art and a different path on the same different spot on the same path. And, you know, whether you call it agorism or anarchism or libertarianism, it doesn't really fucking matter. We're just we living. It. Exactly. We're trying to make <laughs> the best out of this world and this life. And, you know, here we are. So thank you very much for joining us, John and Diana and Naya, Nia and Ben. Appreciate you guys. Yep. So this thank has you. been episode... 29 of Unloose the Goose, Practical Agorism. We are joined with some really cool listeners, Nia, Diana, Ben, and who else? John. John, there you are with your yellow yeah. background. Xavier Hawk and Nicole Sauce were on. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that by going to Unloose the Goose and signing up for our mailing list or leave us a review on whatever podcast player you use or like and follow us on YouTube, share this with friends. We'd love to start expanding the reach here. We've, we've grown to about 4,000 listeners, by the way, Xavier, did you know that? That's dope. I love Isn't that. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And for yeah. all of the listeners, join us at t.me slash unloose the goose and you too could join the podcast and be as one of our featured guests. Awesome. Okay, guys, have a good one. Unloose the goose. Take no view.